of the D-backs expansion brother Tampa Bay Rays be the perfect trade partner this offseason and which MLB first-timers deserve the golden ticket to the MLB Hall of Fame. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. I'm the host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CareerThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked on Dimebacks, both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube, so please hit subscribe to Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube. Now for today's show. The we're going to be talking a little bit about the MLB Hall of Fame. I want to talk about first timers who should be making it to the Hall of Fame. Maybe not the first year on the ballot, but due to I would eventually at least give that golden ticket to to make it to the MLB Hall of Fame. But before we get into any Hall of Fame talk, let's start with some D-backs talk and talk about the off season because I was listening to one of my favorite radio programs driving home. And Burns and Gambo, the show I was listening to, had a little segment on the D-backs because Gambo floated out maybe a potential trade partner in the Tampa Bay Rays because apparently the D-backs do like the Rays as a potential trade partner. They might have already had discussions of just, you know, potential names being thrown out there. Nothing concrete, nothing too serious yet. There's no substantiated rumor, but... Gambo did say that these two teams have at least had a discussion and the player that he brought up that the D-backs could be really interested in is Randy Rosarina. but I don't want just Randy. If you're going to trade with the Tampa Bay Rays, we know the D-backs have two big needs this offseason. They needed another Power bat, maybe from the right side, and maybe a dude that could play in the outfield, right? They gun, they're going to need someone to play left field to replace the Lords Guriel and the Tommy Fams. You want to add a little bit more power to your lineup, and you probably want to add another right-handed bat into your lineup. So that's an area that Randy Rosarina could fill. And then the other area of need that you really want to hit probably entering winter meetings is getting another starter for that rotation, we talked a lot about maybe it doesn't have to be Blake Snell, an elite frontline starter, right? You already have Gallon, you already have Kelly, but you definitely need someone to slot in in front of Brendan Fott in the rotation. 
and the Rays have someone that can be even better than just your number three starter, but because of health and injuries, maybe this could be the perfect buy low guy to take, you know, to take on, uh, especially considering he's going to need a new contract soon, and Tyler Glass now. So if the D-backs are going to make the move, uh, or if the D-backs are going to partner up with the Tampa Bay Rays, I want the move to be to go after Randy and glass now i don't want to just be randy i probably don't want to be just glass now i would take both of those guys in individual deals like don't get me wrong i would be happy if i saw across the ticker on espn d-backs trade for randy rosarina of the tampa bay rays or d-backs trade for tyler glass now i would be happy with both of those outcomes but i think the outcome that would make me the happiest is trading for both of those guys. So let's actually talk about some pros and cons about each of Randy and Tyler Glass now. Because for Randy, I do like him as a player, but I also think he's a little overrated for how he might be viewed or talked about because of that phenomenal 2020 postseason run he had. But you look at his numbers the last two years, he's played over 150 games the last two years below 800 OPS. He's like a 260 hitter. I do like the fact that he's got 20 plus home runs, over 20 stolen bases. Like he will help the power. He will help the speed. He plays really good defense, but from just a traditional stat line perspective, it's not like he's putting up monster numbers. And so Randy, I do think he's a good, a very good player, but he's not an, he's not a superstar. I do think he moves the needle a little bit, but he doesn't move the needle like a Juan Soto or even a Cody Bellinger. Maybe postseason Randy does, but regular season Randy, I don't think adds that many more wins than maybe a Lord's Guriel even. So I would like to trade for Randy, but I wouldn't break the bank for a Randy Rosarina. The hard contact stats, I love that. You look at the batted balls on baseball reference, over 90 mile an hour exit velocity, almost 50% hard hit percentage. You look at his strikeout rate, walk rate, Pretty solid strikeout rate last season, 23.9%, and over a 12% walk rate. We absolutely love to see that from Randy Rosarina. Does a good job against lefties, 828 OPS against lefties last season. And the number that I love the most when you look at Randy Rosarina splits is, of course, runners in scoring position, 292 average and over 800 OPS or runners in scoring position. So he can at least help in that area, come through in the clutch for the D-backs, be someone that could set the table at the top of the lineup. Because when you look at his stats, when he's batting second or third, it's a lot better for Randy. Randy last season, he played most of his games as the cleanup hitter for Tampa Bay. 68 games as cleanup, 63 batting third, 19 batting second. And the numbers tell you, Randy is an elite player at the top of the lineup when he's batting second or third. But when he's a cleanup hitter, expected to be the run producer coming through for you in that in that number four hole, that is when Randy struggles. 210 average, 668 OPS when he's batting number four. But even when he's batting third, 63 games batting third last year compared to 68, you know, batting fourth. In his 63 games batting third, 284 average, 863 OPS. In 19 games batting second, 300 average, 954 OPS. And so if you're bringing in a Randy Rosarina, and let's say you go Corbin Carroll, maybe go Randy too, 
Quetzal Marte, three. Then you go Christian Walker, four. Maybe Eugenio Suarez, five. Gabriel Moreno, six. Like, obviously, Moreno, he won't be able to bat third in the lineup, probably, if you trade for Randy Rosarina. But I'm okay with that. I love Moreno at the bottom of my lineup, batting like number seven as a contact catcher. Like catchers aren't supposed to be offensive weapons, and I think Moreno can be. And I love him at the bottom of my lineup, doing work, extending the lineup, doing damage for my team. So I would absolutely, I I, I would love a I would love a Randy Rosarina at the top of my lineup, batting second or third because the numbers show you he's elite as a top-of-the-lineup guy. And then Tyler Glass now, I think would just be absolutely perfect in this D-backs rotation, but he is a guy with some major red flags. Injuries have been a big, big problem for Tyler Glass now, and it's been throughout his entire career. If I told you 2023 was actually his career high in innings pitch, how would that make you feel? Because Glass now, if you just look at Tampa Bay, 2019, 60 innings pitch. 2020, we won't count. 2021, 88 innings pitch. 2022, 6.2 innings pitch. And then this past year, 120 innings pitch. He's going to be a free agent at the end of 20, excuse me, at the end of 2024. He's got a big salary for next year, but it's a big salary for one year, and then you have to decide whether or not you want to extend him and you know give him a big salary and a big contract moving forward. And I think teams would be willing to give Glass now a lucrative deal if he can show he can stay healthy for the course of a full season, but he's never showed that. He's 30 years of age now, and pitchers who have health issues entering their 30s typically don't fare well when you give them a lucrative deal. So for the D-backs, if you traded for a glass now, it wouldn't be smart to give him six years over 150 right after that. But I wouldn't be mad if the D-backs traded for a glass now, just wrote him out for one year, and then either let him walk in free agency, or maybe they overpaid him for like, or maybe they overpay him for like a three-year, like give him the Sony Gray three-year 75 million. I would not be mad at all if the D-backs do that if Glasnow is able to make like 25 starts this season because Glasnow is nasty when he is right. Elite with runners in scoring position against uh, righties last season. I mean, 164 average, 492 OPS against righties. His fastball is above 96 miles an hour and was actually down a tick from 2022 when it was at 97 miles per hour. So I think there's even more velocity he could tap to tap into with his fastball. His curveball is nasty. Uh, he he gave up a .095 average on his curveball last year. 51.6% of the time, dudes whiffed on his curveball. I think Glass now is so nasty, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And if the D-backs can get Randy and Glass now without breaking the bank with prospects, I think that could be a perfect win-now move that helps the D-backs out in two areas of this ball club. Now we'll talk about some MLB first-timers who I believe should make the Hall of Fame either now or eventually. But before we get there, if you believe the D-backs can get back to the World Series in 2024, then why not place a little futures bet on FanDuel Sportsbook because right now, 
As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Let's take a look at MLB first-timers who are on the ballot and give yes or no to who should make the Hall of Fame. And there's 12 newbies on the ballot. So what we're going to do to get, because I want to do this for the next two segments. So what we're going to try to do is keep it to 60 seconds per player, the elevator pitch on why or why not each player should make it to the MLB Hall of Fame. The first guy that we're going to discuss on this list is going to be Adrian Beltre because Beltre, I think, is a lock to make it to the MLB Hall of Fame, especially as a first-timer. Over 3,000 hits, which usually automatically means you're going to make it to the Hall of Fame. He's quite literally one of the best third basemen we've ever seen. This is someone that played 21 years in Major League Baseball. And it's not just a longevity argument for Adrian Beltre. Elite defensive player, super high highs, super high ceiling, consistently over 850 to 1,000 OPS with a high average, had power, could get you 30-plus home runs, major run producer in the middle of your lineup, and just a super charismatic guy, a person everyone loved. He ranks 27th in war all-time among position players. I think Adrian Beltre is one of the best players we've seen grace the major league field since 2000, probably, since his millennia. And you can make the case he's arguably the best third baseman, too, since the year 2000. I think Adrian Beltre is a lock for the MLB Hall of Fame. The next guy, I think, is a little bit tougher because his highs are as high as anyone on the MLB Hall of Fame ballot because when you take war on the if baseball reference has the MLB Hall of Fame ballot, if you go on the baseball reference ballot and they have this thing called War 7, we're just takes the your seven best years of war and adds it together your seven peak years it just adds it to the, it just adds it together the person who's second among war seven on this MLB Hall of Fame ballot behind Alex Rodriguez and one spot above Adrian Beltre is Chase Utley but the issue with Chase Utley is his peak was basically like five or six years like from 2006 to 2010. He was arguably the best player in baseball. According to War, he was the second best player, I think only behind Albert Pujols. He was basically 300 average, 900 OPS, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs every single season during that time. Helped the Phillies win a World Series. Elite defensive player, four-time silver slugger. But his career, his peak was basically those five years. He played until the age of 39, but his body... 
his play was basically broken down after the age of 31. After 2010, Chase Utley just wasn't the same offensive player. And so the question is, if you think five to six years is enough to make it to the Hall of Fame, then you probably will vote yes for Chase Utley because those highs are as high as anyone in like Major League Baseball history over a five to six year stretch. But I just think the prime was just too short, so I would actually vote no on Chase Utley, despite me thinking that he's one of the best second basemen since 2000 as well. This next guy, I gave a maybe to. I was on the fence. I couldn't give a yes or a no, because like a Chase Utley, I think his prime wasn't wasn't as long as it could have been because of injuries, but his highs were also just unbelievable. David Wright a super tough dude to try to quantify because I think his prime was just a couple years longer than Utley. You look at his year by year, like his career slash line, 296 average, 867 OPS. He was a 30 home run guy, 100 RBI guy, even was pretty quick as well. And he was an elite defensive player, face of the New York Mets. Another dude where just injuries just kind of cut his career a little bit short and that's why I'm a maybe with him because if you believe like seven to eight years is enough to make it to the Hall of Fame, then I think you then I think you believe David Wright is a Hall of Famer, but he really didn't do anything after the age of 30. And so for me, it's like if you were only good for six years and then by the age of 30, your career was done, it's hard for me to justify you making the MLB Hall of Fame. That's why I think Tim Lincecum didn't make the MLB Hall of Fame. Like you look at his career up until the age of 30, one of the best pitchers of all time, two-time Cy Young Award winner, World Series champion, like Lincecum had everything you would want on a Hall of Fame resume through the first like seven, eight years of his career, but he was so bad after like age 29, age 30 that you just couldn't salvage it. And for David Wright, we never saw anything bad from him, same with Chase Utley, but I think because of injuries and their prime not extending past like age 30. I think it's going to be a reason why both of those guys don't potentially make it to the MLB Hall of Fame. The next guy I have is Joe Maurer, who I think is a lock to make it to the MLB Hall of Fame because I do grade it on the curve of him being a catcher. And I think the fact that he was a catcher that led the American League in batting average three out of four years, plus won an MVP, like... He was one of the scariest dudes we ever saw at the catcher position from the way he was able to swing his bat. Career 306 average, 827 OPS, uh, six-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger, three-time Gold Glove. Joe Maurer, I think, is a lock for the MLB Hall of Fame. First overall pick in 2001. He would get my he, he would get a yes from me for the MLB Hall of Fame. How about Jose Batista? I think he's another kind of interesting guy because I think he's like a reverse Chase Sutley or David Wright because this is someone, when you look at his stats and his career, he didn't do anything until the age of 29. From ages 29 to 35, Jose Batista was elite and put up some massive numbers. He had like a two-year stretch where he hit 100 home runs in just two years. He was a power machine. He's someone that gave me a follow on Twitter back in high school, which made me feel really good. 
but he's another guy whose prime just wasn't long enough. If he started this run and tear he was on at age 27, age 26, I think I would feel maybe a little bit different about it, but because he started the run just too late in his career, I think Jose Bautista, I think Jose Bautista won't make it to the MLB Hall of Fame, but he had a pretty nice career considering how late he got it started. And then the last guy that I want to talk about in segment number two is Bartolo Colon, who I definitely think is a no for this exercise. Colon played 21 years, played until the age of 45, but only a four-time All-Star, did win a Cy Young Award, but I think there are just too many up and downs with Bartolo Colon. There were years like the Cy Young Award year where he could look dominant. He had a, a couple seasons, a few seasons where he had a sub three ERA or maybe he had like a three five ERA and over 200 innings pitch. But the problem is there was also a few years where he had like a six ERA or a five ERA. There's a reason he has a 4.12 ERA over his career. Uh, a dog, a workhorse, one of the best bodies in in sports, period, big sexy. We all love Bartolo Colon. We all loved it when he went yard and hit a home run. It was the peak of Major League Baseball, probably. That was probably the last time everyone cared about Major League Baseball was when Bartolo Colon hit that home run back in 2016, the last great year in American history. Bartolo Colon, unfortunately, though, you won't make it to the MLB Hall of Fame. Now let's take a look at a few more potential candidates, a few more first-timers, and give you a little yes or no on as to whether or not they should make it to the MLB Hall of Fame. But before we get there, did you know Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube? Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, Plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. And let's talk about a few more first-timers who should get that yes or no to the MLB Hall of Fame. The first guy I want to discuss is Adrian Gonzalez, and he was just another one of those fence-sitters for me. I ultimately gave him a no because I thought he's more... I thought he was more of that Hall of Very Good, just that tier right below the MLB Hall of Fame five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove, two-time Silver Slugger, but really didn't play in the postseason as much as I would have wanted to for a guy that played 15 years in Major League Baseball. His slash line, 287, 843 OPS, and averaged 27 home runs per 162-game average with 101 RBIs. I think Adrian Gonzalez is an absolute stud. Don't get me wrong. Multiple MVP finishes in the top 10. He was a stud for the Boston Red Sox for a little bit there as well. Went to the Dodgers, went to the Padres, but I just think he's a guy that just narrowly going to miss out on the MLB Hall of Fame. I think he's a dude that was a stud in his career, but I don't know if he was on the on the same level as some of those legends that we put in the hall. 
Gonzalez, I think, is a tier just right below that. So for me, I'm going to say no for Adrian Gonzalez. And I probably should have said no for this next guy because when you look at Baseball War, like this dude literally has like one more war point than Adrian Gonzalez. I think they're neck and neck for their careers in war. And you could told me, you could make the argument that if you said no or yes to Adrian Gonzalez, whatever your answer was, this guy should have got the same answer, Matt Holiday. But I unfortunately gave Matt Holiday a yes, fortunately for him. It was super close. Matt Holiday, though, I think just had slightly higher highs, and most of it is because of what I saw him do in the postseason. Adrian Gonzalez, maybe it wasn't his fault. He was just on bad teams throughout his career, but Matt Holiday, 2007, NLCS MVP, 2011, was a key cog to a team that went and won the World Series. And then he went to the World Series again in 2013, had a 905 OPS in the World Series against Boston. And he just has played a ton of postseason games in his career with some big moments in the playoffs. Then you look at his stats, 299 average for his career, 889 OPS. And just like Adrian Gonzalez, 27 home runs over 162 game uh, average with 104 ribbies, really elite defensive player as well. Seven All-Stars, four Silver Sluggers, and a batting title. I think Matt Holliday had a slightly better career than Adrian Gonzalez, and it's the reason why I would give him a yes over Agon because Agon is also a dude that was a fence-sitter for me, a hard maybe, but I think Holiday is on the right side of the fence, and I think Adrian Gonzalez potentially is on the wrong side of the fence. But if you believe both of those guys deserve the same answer, I won't argue with you. How about a Jose Reyes? I think a Jose Reyes is a no, and I actually think if Jose Reyes came into Major League Baseball in like 2015, I think he wouldn't be as viewed as highly as he probably is for people my age group because back when I was growing up watching baseball, I was like, oh my God, Jose Reyes is one of the best players in the sport. You looked at his baseball reference. He was leading the league in steals every year, leading the league in triples every year. All really good stuff, but he was also a dude that didn't have a super high slugging percentage, didn't have a super high OPS, really didn't count for much from the power department, and I just don't think he would be as highly valued in today's game. Was always a great average guy, but I actually think when you look back at the stats for Jose Reyes is not as good as I might have remembered. The early part of his career with the New York Mets was really impressive, but after he got traded to Miami, and then after that, I just think his career just kind of went downhill, and that all kind of started around age 30. Like, he made his last all-star team at age 28, then was traded to Miami at age 29. I think that just kind of started the descent of Jose Reyes, even though he was doing a lot of the same things he did back in New York. And so for Jose Reyes, I think it's a no. I think if he came into Major League Baseball in the last 10 to 15 years, he wouldn't be viewed as highly as he is now. And unfortunately, I'm not going to give him a yes on my ballot. Next up is Victor Martinez. And I gave him a no, but I said, if you want to give him the curve, if you want to grade him on a curve and say, you know what? He did play around 900 games as a catcher. And so that's why he should be in as an MLB Hall of Famer, because it's just tougher to be an offensive catcher, which Victor Martinez was. He was an offensive stud in his career, 295 career average with 815 OPS. 
finished second in MVP voting back in 2014. Like Victor Martinez was a stud in the middle of your lineup. And as he got older, he just became a full-time DH because his bat was so good. But he did play a lot of games at catcher in his career. And so maybe that could be the reason, the feather in his cap as to why he could make it to the hall. But I voted him no. I just don't think his ceiling, if you don't give him that curve, his ceiling is just not as high as even a Adrian Gonzalez or a Matt Holiday for his career. So because of that, I'm out on Victor Martinez. How about a James Shield? Big game James with a name like that. You would think you would get a yes to the MLB Hall of Fame. But for me, it's a no. I thought he was a really good pitcher throughout his major league career. But I never thought he was like a shutdown ace or anything like that. Like he never scared me. James Shield. I always thought he was a really good pitcher, someone that you would want as your number two starter, but if he was your number one, I was always like, ah, uh, he left me wanting something a little bit more. Only one season with a only one season with a sub three ERA as a starting pitcher. And honestly, that season, 2011, he had 11 complete games and four shutouts. Like, how do you not win the MV? How do you not win the Cy Young? With 11 complete games. He actually finished third in Cy Young voting in 2011. Um, oh, and you could see why he finished third in Cy Young voting. Because the MVP that year in 2011 was actually a pitcher, Justin Verlander. So you could see how James Shield didn't win the Cy Young. Because Justin Verlander won the MVP and the Cy Young that season. So unfortunately, that's sad for a, that's sad for a James Shield who had himself a fantastic 2011 season. Um it wasn't good enough to even win the Cy Young Award. And I don't think that one year was good enough to vault him into the Hall of Fame. So unfortunately, James, I'm voting no. And then the last guy on the ballot for first-timers, Brandon Phillips, the easiest guy on this list to say no to. Defensive wizard, don't get me wrong. I woke up every morning, turned on SportsCenter, and Brandon Phillips had two plays in the top 10. But guess what? You look at the offensive numbers, career 740 OPS, only has two seasons with above a 800 OPS, had some good counting numbers in terms of power and some speed, but Brandon Phillips was never an elite offensive player, three-time All-Star, really liked him, one of the best smiles on the sport, one of the most elite gloves in the sport, but not a Hall of Famer. Sorry, Brandon Phillips. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Doses.